What I love most about Mi Gente is our community and how important it is to take care of our own. Hey, it's Honey and Carolina. On our podcast, Life in Spanglish, we talk about how important being there for your loved ones is. Pero también sobre lo importante que es tener a alguien dispuesto a apoyarte cuando lo necesites, como lo hace State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. If you're anything like me, you're booked and busy. From family duties and work responsibilities to catching up on your favorite shows and podcasts. Yes, like Wrestling with Freddie, with me, Freddie Prinz Jr. With all the responsibilities we have, it's always nice to have someone in your corner. That's why State Farm is there for you with your auto and home insurance needs, helping you protect the things you love and helping you save money. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. State Farm. Proud sponsor of the Michael Tura Podcast Network. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Tis the first podcast of 2022, and I have started by saying tis, and I'm already quite annoyed that I did that. Uh, my name is Luke. I run thecustardtv.com. I've brought some of the old colleagues along. Matt's here in the north. Hello. Oh, less of the old. Yeah, true. <laughs> And Sarah's here, rush back because I screwed up on days and rush back. What have I stopped you from doing today, apart from watching one of the shows? Honestly, what I wanted to do was just have a sleep this afternoon. I'm worn out. But I feel like I've been editing podcasts for the last month, so I'm going to keep this under 48 minutes, if possible. That's our goal today. If we're speaking for more than 48 <laughs> do, minutes... Do you I remember what we call. said at the, the end of the year yes, one, where we I were remember. like... We're going to keep this under an hour, and then it was two hours, yeah. 20 minutes later. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yes, yes, I know. I can still hear bits of that podcast when I close my eyes. BTSD so, podcast. Yes, uh... yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not fun. Traumatic stress disorder. But this will be, because it's the first one of the new year. Uh, we got three brand new dramas and the return of a comedy character we enjoy. The Tourist on BBC One. True crime dramas in the form of Four Lives on BBC One and Anne on ITV, plus the return of Stephen Toast calling in all the favours that Matt Berry has met all these American people and he's using them now, although we can't talk about most of them due to an embargo at the time of recording and at the time of release of the podcast, so we'll have to dance our way around that, but that's what we're talking about. You, you stayed round at Friends and didn't make it to the new year. Didn't, but also I'm quite anti-New Year just generally. I don't understand the point of people who are too tired and too emotional and too drunk staying up just to say Happy Midnight. It just makes well, no sense to the, me. Th- the thing is, and I wanted to start the podcast in 2022 all positive and stuff, but I've never understood it. You know, we've been through two of the worst years in my lifetime. Why would we want to celebrate the next one? We did it in 2021 and that didn't turn out wonderful, so... I don't really it's understand a case it. Of, it's not really a case of Happy New Year. It's a case of, oh, God, what's next? Yeah. Like being in some awful dystopian Handmaid's Tale-esque thriller at the moment. Why did you, why do you watch this Hootenanny thing every year? Is it just traditional? Do you actually like yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, both. I enjoy seeing who they have on. And, you know, it's it's easy watching, really. It wasn't the most inspiring lineup, but Vic Reeves did sing Dizzy and I'm a Believer last night, so that's something at least. That sounds cool. Um, <laughs> was it a socially distanced Hootenanny? It was socially distanced to an extent, so not as much as last year's one. Obviously, we had more restrictions there, but they didn't have like a big audience. 
it was mostly just the acts that were there and they were still showing like they did last year clips from previous Hootenannies when we got Craig David doing seven days from 2001 which was uh, interesting I never learn when I open the Hootenanny box I never learn that it's like a long conversation I do it every year it's my own fault no you don't I feel like I do <laughs> last night they had like Ed Sheeran and Rag and Bone Man Lulu did shout so that, again you know it still doesn't feel the set you know when you watch these clips and you can understand why they can't do it with the with the sort of the COVID rules in place because it's all sort of people really close together sort of very sweaty it's not too taxing and it's just nice to just watch a bit of music and see in the new year you know they have the the pipes come in and do uh do old lang syne it's just like tradition isn't it i'm closing the hoot well, why box. did you ask you I asked a question and i answered it and you were the one who wanted to finish in 48 minutes and then you asked me a question where you knew there would be a long answer <laughs> Oh, I don't like doing that. I've not had a lot anymore. of sleep either, listeners. No, no, you know, thank you, Matt, today. Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. It's fair to say that on the whole, I have had a tough time with the BBC's brand new dramas every year. You may remember my visceral reaction to McMafia. So, I was just going to say, Luke, we're looking at, in 2016 and 2017, I believe, the, there was the Sherlock's. Yeah. 2018, we had McMafia. 2019, Ugh. we had the final Luther. Well, in inverted commas, because it's coming back on it Netflix never now, ends, Final though, Luther. Yeah. <laughs> um, 2020 was Dracula, and then yeah. last year was uh, one of Sarah's favourites, The Serpent. So, as you say, now we've got uh, The Tourist. We're alluding to the fact that my relationship with the BBC's first new drama of the new year is usually, it's a big, you know, over-the-top waste of time and really um, cinematic, but with with no heart or soul. So what did I think of this year's offering, The Tourist? Well, calm down, let me do the synopsis, and then I will give my opinions, and I will hand it over to Matt and Sarah, who will do the same. Not necessarily the same opinions, but they will give theirs. We've only got um, 40 minutes left of the podcast. Yeah, on with it, let's so- <laughs> <laughs> so, Jamie Dornan is the lead here, and he's travelling through the Australian outback when he spots a truck in his rearview mirror. A chase ensues, he thinks he's uh, got rid of them, and then the truck manages to sort of rear-end him, and he wakes up in a hospital with amnesia, and he can't remember who he is. He goes into the MRI machine where he asks for a song called If I Cared to be played. It seems to be the only thing he can remember, although he doesn't recognise it when it's played he finds it in this in a uh, a town called burnt ridge it's like the the outback of the outback it's a really small country town and he's visited by local cop helen chambers who is sent to, to take a statement from him in hospital and he again tells her he can't remember anything when he gets his clothes back though he discovers that he had a meeting in place uh, that's written on a piece of paper 
Uh, Helen recognises the local diner where the meeting is. He doesn't obviously know what the meeting was for, but arranges to, to go and visit the diner at the time, it says on this piece of paper. And uh, when he does, he sits in what is a very lonely diner with two employees, one of which, Lucy, who is played by Shalom Bruni Franklin, who we last saw as Exposition Chloe in Line of Duty. Remember, she was the one who just had loads of streams of dialogue? Yeah, she didn't have oh, any Chloe. sort of papers. Chloe yeah. solved the whole case, and, and yeah. yeah, all she got to do was talk um, with, like, screens behind her. So, anyway, she's the waitress in this cafe. She takes him to the toilet. Toilets are a big theme of the tourist. I'll explain that in a second. They say that theirs is out of order. When Lucy and the man leave the cafe to use the toilet across the road the cafe explodes causing this reviewer to nearly fall off his chair because i had no idea that was coming but was this just a random act or was this man played by jamie dornan supposed to die in the cafe explosion we get to see occasionally a guy who appears to be stuck in the boot of a car trying to use a lighter to to escape we also see pictures of a young woman. We don't know what that is. And when the police find a disposable camera at a crash site, it takes him back to a tourist attraction. And his B&B hosts who are there, they take him to the gift shop where he sees himself purchasing T-shirts and a fluffy koala on the CCTV. Then there's Andre from the brilliant uh, Scandinavian series Trap from Iceland. He arrives as sort of this American cowboy with a bunch of flowers asking to see whether this guy has been taken into hospital. He tells the nurse behind the desk, my mother was a nurse and it's wonderful work that you do. And then later on he tells the woman who works in the parking lot, my mother was a parking attendant and it's wonderful he, work that you do. He's very disingenuous, isn't he? That's the yeah. the sort of the character trait. He's, he's called, and it's a very American character name as well. He's called Billy Nixon, his character. Oh, I didn't remember that. I didn't put that in my notes. And then it sort of ends with Jamie Dornan going back to the very start because it starts with him completely well before he ran off the road in the truck asking to use the toilet at a petrol station. He's asked to sign in. He says, why, why does signing in mean that I won't bring the key back? I didn't really understand that either. You could just sign in and run off with the key. He goes back there, back into the toilet. He finds his, he's signed himself in under a comedic name, so he still doesn't know what he's called. And when he goes into the toilet, he discovers a burner phone, which is ringing. He answers, and uh, the guy in the boot of the truck that I mentioned calls him and says, you have to help me. Meanwhile... We hear that track again that he asked for in the MRI and we see Lucy, a.k.a. Exposition Chloe, deleting photos of Jamie Dornan from her phone. So the pair were obviously close and perhaps romantically involved. There's a big ploy at the centre of this. Who is the man? Why was he buying a koala? How does he know Lucy, a.k.a. Exposition Chloe? What was he there for? Was he meant to die? And who the hell is the American guy from Trapped in the cowboy hat? Those are the questions. Now, the question that Matt wants to know is, did this break my I hate all BBC dramas? I, I, saw, I, I saw this and immediately really wanted to know what you thought because I have got no idea. But I think I, I, think I, I can sort of guess what you're going to say. But go ahead. Tell me what I'm going to say. 
you're going to say you really liked it because you felt that the character of Helen, the cop, had some real heart and it added to, you know, it was above you what would be a standard thriller. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a lot of problems with the Williams brothers. We were talking to Sarah before this. She said, if this is an, if, if I enjoyed this, would I, do I have to watch The Missing and Baptiste? We both said, just watch the first two series of The Missing. They were brilliant. And we've watched a lot of the Williams Brothers on the podcast over the years since The Missing. We were big fans of Liar in Series 1 until that went bonkers. I think Sarah joined us. I might be wrong to talk about Angela Black with Joe. Yeah, she joined, she joined me. You weren't on that podcast. Well, I consider you and me <laughs> us. The Widow with Kate Beckinsale. They, yep. They're just sort of known for these sort of pulpy, sort of soulless thrillers with mysteries at the heart. And I was reading a press office thing from the BBC and they said they wanted to inject humour in it. And then who'd have thought it? That was the key. Well, what they did was that they said they just let themselves go. They didn't feel like they had to censor themselves because, you know, normally the themes that they deal with, whether it be, you know, missing children or rape, they don't feel like they can... Yeah. You know, they have they have to sort of rein, rein themselves in a little bit or but, domestic but, violence with Angela Black. Yeah. But here, but, they said the ca- the characters lent themselves more to that sort of rhythm of the dialogue and that humour. And, and then they, they felt that they could write a little bit more freely than they can norm- they normally feel like they can. Okay. Yeah, it's more of an action drama than a domestic mm. drama, isn't it? Their dramas are often very stark. They take themselves remarkably seriously. They've got twists and turns, and they're often told in flashback. In fact, they did a whole series. Relic. You forgot Relic. about Relic. Relic that was told in complete flashback. Killer AKA. backwards. Yes, Killer. and that was a bit of a flop. But I have to say, I was the most engaged with the William Brothers drama as I've been since the first episode of Liar, I am intrigued. I like that it wasn't flashing here, there and everywhere. It was easy to follow. Specifically, all the female characters were really interested. Matt mentioned the cop, who I thought had a really interesting backstory and felt really authentic. This sort of larger woman who was trying to lose weight for her husband and they were practicing their dance, but she was keeping... Um, her eating habits a secret because he was giving her stuff like kale and things. She'd already been to a drive-through and ordered a lot of stuff that she wanted to eat. It, it Can we all just agree how horrible that husband is, though? He's just completely negging her all the time. Yeah. What's negging? Oh, um, sort of backhanded compliments. Never heard um, that expression. She said something about um, they were talking about when they got together, like weren't we gorgeous five years ago or something? She says. And he says, well, she asked him, if you yes, can't darling. remember me, yeah. would you still find me attractive? She says, yes, darling, and you will be again. Yes. Which is a terrible thing to say to anybody, especially your fiancé. I enjoyed this hour. I was intrigued to watch more, and that's the purpose. I fully expect that it'll do some of those William Brothers things I, I don't like, where the, the story and the central mystery may get more convoluted, but I'm going to stick with it. I thought the Outback setting was interesting because it it made us as viewers feel a bit out of it like um, Jamie Dornan's character was. We're not familiar with the surroundings and and the customs in that area either, so it puts you slightly in his shoes. 
yes, this has broken the curse for at least one year. Matt, what did you think? Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. I, I think the the way that it has been promoted, and I've subsequently seen trailers, it did feel like another big action piece. You know, they, they show you Jamie Dornan in the outback and not a lot more, really. And recently I've seen bits where they focus more on the humour, the scene where he goes into the gift shop and the guy goes, you've got amnesia? Cool. Yeah. Um, for example. And what the Williams brothers do is they... Life is full of surprises. Some good, some not so much. Hola, it's Honey. Hola, it's Carolina. Y sabes que estar preparado para cualquier cosa es importante. Whether that's in our roles as mothers, wives, businesswomen, or podcasters. On our show Life in Spanglish, you know that being open to unexpected turns has been an important part of our success. Pero we can use some help. Oh yes, la buena ayuda is welcome. Y si pasa algo, tranquilitos. Isn't it good knowing that with a State Farm agent you can worry less because someone will be personally invested in safeguarding your goals. Plus, they have the options to talk to a real person whenever a customer needs, especially when those unexpected turns come up. It's the personalized attention you can count on. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Try and sort of second guess where the audience are going with it. So, for example, the scene at the beginning where he signs his name to get the the key to the toilet, and we think, well, they'll, they'll circle back to that because he doesn't know his name and so when they get there you we're automatically thinking oh we're near the end of episode one he's going to find out what his name is and then as you say you know he he looks down and he's put a joke name down prior to the accident you know he does come across as a bit of a as as the cocky you know we see him singing betty davis eyes down down the down the highway um but yeah i think it it was it was very well paced they revealed just enough of, of what was going on yeah. not to not to keep us too bored. I really liked, uh, as as you mentioned, that we we got to spend time with with Helen, and uh, you know, as Sarah said, her awful fiance. And I hope maybe in in solving this that you know that relationship possibly uh, deteriorates and she finds someone better, perhaps. And I like, as you say, these sort of small backwards towns where everyone knows each other the couple in the in the b&b the guy and even that you know the guy who was who was deaf and was able to read the conversation he was having on everyone the CCTV. in it's really nice which is so unusual apart from sort of dramas. andre apart from, hus- apart from andre and the husband mm. which and, by williams and, brothers standards is good i suppose we haven't mentioned that helen is actually a probationary constable you know she's not actually a, a fully qualified police officer and there is a another police officer character i believe is coming into it in the second episode and who was originally going to be played by hugo weaving as you said as well Luke, like the backdrop and everything this sort of sparse landscape cinematography was excellent it yeah. gave a real sort of sense of place you could almost sort of feel that aridness that dryness and and the jamie dornan character just being a, a man out of place and as you say, the, those scenes at the end with with Lucy and and looking at the photos, I think certainly I I did not expect that. I think no. the way they introduced that character and then there's that little swerve. Um, so yeah, no, I really enjoy I really enjoy it, and I think it's all on the iPlayer, isn't it? So it I think is. maybe it's going to be one to continue. It's risky um, though, that later. isn't it? Because if it really takes off, then I could either spoil it accidentally for somebody on Twitter or have it spoiled because it is a mystery that does rely on these big cliffhangers and these big 
things happening at the end of each one and you could easily accidentally spoil it by putting something like this on iPlayer. So I'm surprised they've done it. Sarah, what did you make of it? Yeah, again, really positive. Wasn't sure quite what to expect from it um, because it did seem to be quite an unusual setting and an unusual story. Um, and I think we're going to have to be quite careful about the fact that we keep calling the collision, the Mad Max style collision at the beginning. We have to, That's not an accident. That is not an accident. Mm. That was a murder attempt. The same with the bomb, I think, in the um, restaurant. That's got to be another murder attempt. So what mm. does the Jamie Dornan character know? And why are people crossing, like, the whole world to come and try and kill him? I think it's really interesting. And that that central question is what's going to keep it going. It's, it's one of those things where you say, like, the details are sparse, but they're all clever. Um, mm. In the fact that I know we keep calling him Andre, but he has got a proper name. He's Olafson, sorry, Olaf Darry Olafson. That's why we, why we keep calling him Andre. <laughs> no, I see it now, I see it now. Um, we were waiting for you to do it. He is gorgeous and I love him. As Andre, he was terrific and it looks like he's having so much fun playing this yeah. scary man in black. This is his third time third with the Williams time Brothers as well. Is so, it? Yeah, because oh, he's, he's in the second series of The Missing and he's he is in that. The Widow. Which uh, don't right, watch, okay. don't watch The Widow. Terrible. Was he a blind man in that? Yes. Go One on. thing that confused me with my face blindness was that when the guy, you know, locked in this sort of like grisly coffin. Um, yeah, you said he was in a trunk, Luke. In a... I, thought oh, he yeah, was I... In a, I thought he was in the back of a trunk. I I I... No, no, he's, he was buried underground. He was in, oh, like, sorry, a... He's in like a, a, a sort of oil drum or something like that, buried oh, okay. underground. Mm. Um, but it's really hard to see, obviously, from his perspective. Um, I thought that was flashbacks, and I thought that was Jamie Dornan's character. I, I think we were supposed to think that. I think we were until supposed he, to think Until that. we heard his accents. I thought that was very well done. Mm-hmm. I really liked that. I thought that was a really nice use of that boring flashback trope. I thought that was really good. I think it's nice to be able to watch a drama of this style and quality and not be really confused by it. Because mm. the BBC yeah. have done so many dramas like this. Big name, big setting, big ideas. And you just start it and you're like, well, how does this connect? And Who are they again? And it was mm. very A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I always appreciate that. In the and I think because it's a, it's a six as well, so they're not rushing, you know, like they would be maybe if it's a three or a four. As you say, I think they give it time for every shock to sort of land and we'll do a bit of, you know, development with some of the secondary characters yeah, uh, because, it's got space uh, to breathe, hasn't it? And, you, you know, like, we'll, we'll introduce uh, Billy in this scene in the hospital, you know, this big character played by... I'm not going to pronounce his, the actor's name, played by Andre. the guy from the <laughs> <laughs> um, And that's, like, a new development. And, obviously, you know, there's other characters who are yet to be introduced. And I just think they, they, they plotted it well. You sort of knew where you were, but not at the same time. And and you have got that intrigue going forward and wanting to know why so many it's, people are after him, as you said. Yeah, it's got that lovely feeling to it, like we are the detectives at this point. And we're yeah, only as confused as he is, you know? You, you, it puts you in his shoes, which so many of these dramas, they keep you 
just at arm's length and you just watch yeah. what's going on. And I thought this was expertly handled. I so... think the, the key thing that we needed to learn from this episode was that if, if we're insisting he's called Andre, that Andre whistles a merry tune when he's at work. Mm. And I think that we heard that merry tune right at the very beginning and right at the very end of the episode. Right. And I, it made me feel clever to pick up on that. And I was like, amazing. And it's nice when a drama, like you say, it's nice when a drama series brings you in rather than keeping you at arm's length. The simplicity of this was not lost on me. I thought it was brilliantly done. The tourist is all on the iPlayer as we speak now. I do think, and I've never liked things being dropped on the iPlayer. but I No, you, you don't mention that very much, you know. No, but I haven't done this year. The thing is that this could be and deserves to be another talking point drama week on week on week. All on the iPlayer now on BBC One. Next up then, we'll do another BBC drama. This one is called Four Lives and this man is called Matt Donnelly. No, you're wanting Sarah now. Yes, oh sorry. <laughs> this one, I'm sorry. This one is called Four Lives and that one is called Sarah Kennedy or Hamsterer or I don't really know if that's a middle name or not. I didn't say. So. It's it's the, the the hamster family name that I'm very proud of. Good, good. Um, stick with it. <laughs> okay, so Four Lives is about the Stephen Port murders. So it wasn't so long ago actually, and it was absolutely horrific. And I remember 2014, I think. Yeah, very clearly I remember at the time. And he ended up being called the Grinder Killer because he targeted young gay men on dating apps. And this is another one which we've seen a rash of recently, I think, where a very unlikely comedy star is in a very, very serious drama and absolutely smashing it, as far as I can see. Um, mm. Stephen Merchant, I think, was cast because Stephen Port is a very tall, gangly, odd-looking guy. And I can say that. I'm six foot one. I'm allowed to say that. And as far as I can tell, um, even though he doesn't appear very much in episode one, he's absolutely smashing it out of the park. It's really good. So, of course, we've got Sheridan Smith in it as well. So basically, it's just like excellent, excellent cast. Stephen Port is a strange man who targets young gay men, especially twinks, who are the sort of very young, slender, boyish looking gay men. Um, And he brings them back to his flat and he kills them. And he is interviewed by the police twice, quite early on in this. Because he finds the first body, isn't it? He says, I found this, but he rings the police to say, I found this body outside my flat. And then... By no means is he a criminal mastermind. And yet we know that he gets away with it for a very long time. Uh, It's also concerning, it's called Four Lives, and we've seen two young men killed because we know that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And so the first character and the first family that we meet, it's Sheridan Smith as the mum, Sarah. Um, There's this close-knit family from Hull. um, And Anthony is the first victim. He's a 23-year-old fashion student who goes to London because that's where all gay fashion students want to go and live, obviously. It's such a nice, warm family. And again, because of the setup, you know what's going to happen. And it is tragic it makes it all the more heartbreaking it does it? because you like like you always say luke you want to get to know the character before I, the writers off them I, I think that's the point isn't it of having these 
with these scenes before and these dramas you know this is seeing the names and the lives of people mm. behind the names that you read in the paper and exactly. the names that they read out on the news and that's it's why it's that all four lives it's the shift that we should embrace collectively mm. as a society and i think we are we're less fascinated in like the mind of the serial killer and we are more interested in the victims uh, and families and how it felt I think there's a couple of things here that I want to pick up on before I let you guys go for, for broke and tell me what you think. Um, there's a line in this at the beginning where um, one of Anthony's friends, China, I think it's, she says, there was nothing sleazy about him. He was lovely. I think there's this assumption, certainly, what, 20 years ago and picked up in It's a Sin and in the press a lot now there's this assumption that by being gay and ending up in risky sexual situations they brought it on themselves they somehow deserved it and this is what every family in this case has had to fight against for respect for their murdered loved ones and for a case to be brought it's classic victim blaming the only person to blame in a murder is the murderer and then you know of course the police mishandling as well um i think that's really important and it's a conversation that always bears repeating the family liaison officer who's meant to look oh, at he's an awful character he's oh. like and i don't know how much that obviously this is based on true story and and test you know they have the big thing at the start interviews with those involved it does feel like a caricature but it, yeah. it might be one of those that is stranger yeah. than fiction when you end up having to deal with large institutions like hospitals or the courts or um the police and you wonder how on earth these people got promoted to any kind of authority because mm. dc slaymaker can't even pronounce anthony's name right and well, he's he up on it a million times and he gets it wrong every single time and where is the and, respect where is the they, respect due to yeah. that man and his family there's none yeah. i think obviously there is that element of the homophobic aspect of it but as well there's just sort of a general like laziness to him that i found that they picked it's easier for them to explain it away this way than do any more investigation and that sort of pick i've watched the second episode and that sort of picked up more Mm. there that you know if they can just say this is what's happened they can move on it's a really neat way for the writers to go the police don't care just in these tiny little repeated insults and mistakes, you know, and it builds and builds. And as you know, as as we know, Stephen Port goes on to kill again and again, because even though he is so obvious, everybody thinks he's a bit dodgy. All these poor men can be linked back to his flat. He's got no alibi, and yet it's fine. I was pleased and a little bit worried to see Rufus Jones turn up um, looking after Gabriel. Yeah. Um, he's the second victim. Yeah, because I was like, oh no, Rufus Jones, he's so lovely. I'm, I'm so pleased that he wasn't playing against type. I, didn't I do like the fact... I do of the gay man either. <laughs> I do like the fact that he took in another immigrant, though. Yeah. That's what home he was did say that, He did say, I was looking to take in an immigrant anyway. Oh, he did, didn't he? <laughs> so he's learnt, he's learnt a lot from home, is what I'd he say. He has. Uh, I'm so pleased. We're all growing and changing. He was Slovakian, was he? Is that correct? Or Croatian? Yeah, Slovak. Slovakian. Slovakian, yeah. yeah. We didn't get to see much of him on screen, but it was enough to make us appreciate that he was a really sweet young man who just wanted to make his way in the world and wanted to live in an exciting city and 
made completely the wrong choice, moved away from John's house to Stephen's house because he thought that he was moving up in the world. Bravo, BBC. Honestly, this might be one of my favourite dramas the BBC had done in a while. And when I say favourite, you know, that's an awful thing to say. It just reminds you of what BBC drama is capable of at its very best. Neil McKay handles these true-life crime stories with such humanity with a with us with a soft approach the more side is still one of my favorites of his this one is just feels so so expertly handled you feel immediately the sense of dread when you meet these people and like sarah says you don't spend very long with them but the time you get is enough you feel invested in them it's really hard for you to completely dislike stephen merchant because He's almost childlike in his performance. There's a a scene where he's watching an advert from Toys R Us and getting really excited about Transformers and he collects dumper trucks. So there's obviously something going on mentally with him. And so he's not this, he's a vicious killer, but he's not a vicious person. You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tura Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. We started our company, Girls Who Do Interiors, before we even graduated design school. And we turned to Chase for Business to build along with us. They had everything from banking to payment acceptance to credit cards all in one place. And with the Chase mobile app, our business is wherever we are. It's made for business owners who build to inspire. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Real customers compensated. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member of FDIC. And I'm fascinated by the way he displays his bodies. He puts them sitting up and they look as if they're just asleep. I I, I wish I'd had time to watch the other two episodes because I really fell hard for this one. I didn't know the original story as well as Sarah. There's not a bad performance. Sheridan Smith is, of course, wonderful. We haven't seen a lot of her on screen lately. Her performance is effortless and loving and tender and sweet and heartbreaking. Stephen Merchant is a revelation. I think he's incredible in the role, and I really am fascinated to see what happens next with that character. Matt, you watch the second, and you don't often have the time or sometimes the immediate rush, so I'm really you must be well, into this as much as I am. I, I actually struggled a little bit to start off with. You know, I knew the name Stephen Port, but I really wasn't sure of where the drama was going, why it was called Four Lives. Most of the promotion had been around Sheridan Smith and Stephen Merchant. So I thought, oh, it's a, you know, it's a drama about this one mother who's lost her son. You know, I feel like we've seen Sheridan Smith in this role before, maybe not a mother to quite as much an older son. So initially I thought, you know, is this going to be just another really sort of traumatic watch? For me, it changed when they introduced Gabriel. As you always say, Luke, and we mean Sarah both crediting you for this, the spending time with the character before something happens to them. And 
you know, I think the actor that, that played Gabriel, you know, he had this innocence about yeah. him that maybe Anthony didn't. Uh, Jacob. I, I wrote his name down and I, I, ja- I was like, Jacob, I don't believe I Jacob, don't. Yeah, Jacob yeah. But he's just got the most cherubic face. He looked about sort of 14, you know, he was just, he was so hopeful. And, and that's and I, what really broke my yeah. heart. And I think the relationship with the Rufus Jones character that he just wanted to sort of look after him, didn't he? And and that was a character that was quite unique to a drama like this. As you said, you felt yeah. maybe he would be another sinister character and actually he was just a really nice guy yeah. and actually... It's good to be able to show gay lives like that mm. on TV, you know? Not everybody has to be a type. People can just be genuinely good people. We don't get to see that enough by any means. The horrible thing is as well is that Daniel, who's the third victim, is found exactly the same place as Gabriel, slumped at the same churchyard by the same dog walker who found Gabriel. And yet the police are still... popping over that graveyard. If I'd have found that first one, the dog would have to either (laughs) walk itself or we'd go with someone else. (laughs) Strange to want to go back. (laughs) And the police are still saying we can't find a connection, even though all all these three men are found with the same drug in their system. In Daniel's case, he's in a long-term relationship and they go to see his boyfriend and say, you know, like GHB, it's what gay people use. And he says, no, we don't. You can't just say all gay people use this drug. And then when he's speaking to the parents, he's saying, you know, go and ask the boyfriend about it. He'll know. Yeah, it's that homophobia, isn't it? They were looking, they were determined to find drugs in Anthony's house and all they found was poppers and they thought that was a big deal. Yeah. These true crime dramas where there's police ineptitude on this scale, they're normally set in the 70s or the 60s. Mm, I was going to say the same thing. bang up to date and Mm. you forget that when you're watching it. Enormously disappointing, isn't it? It doesn't reflect well on them whatsoever. What it reminded me of to an extent was uh, Versace and and the way that closeted gay men in that mainly were the victims of Kunan and because they didn't want their sexuality to be known. And, you know, the the police sort of dismissed that. But that, again, was like in the 90s. We're in 2014. Mm. And yet this is still happening. And Mm. Sheridan Smith's character, Rufus Jones's character are there going, there's another body being found. And and they're saying, no, there's no connection, there's no connection. And it is just really frustrating and it must have been horrible for those families. As I said, initially I wasn't convinced, but by the end it makes you think about so many things and how mm. things are so unfair. And you, you mentioned the, the inquest and I, I read an article on the Radio Times website where they concluded that there was no homophobia in it, but they did say that if they had looked at it properly, the other three young men would not have been killed i know i say this a lot in fact probably say this every single time that i come on and talk about a crime drama but imagine those three or four men imagine they were young blonde white women imagine it would have been different it would have been sold overnight because people would have cared in an uncomplicated way where women are presented as the victim but young gay men well you know dodgy lifestyles They probably all like this kind of thing. It was probably rough sex. It's so easy to victim blame people because of the nonsense that society puts on us. I was going to say you say that, but then, you know, three girls, the police really ignored those girls because of their backgrounds and, you know, so their socioeconomic class. Yeah. So it's it's anything, isn't it? It's not just, Mm -hmm. you know, but as you say, the, the fact that they had this drug in their system, the fact that Anthony was on this escort website, Mm -hmm anything they can to 
to say, oh, this was just an overdose, you know, the mm. and and the way that the port was able to explain it away, and they had that open and shut. There's one scene, and uh, uh, sorry to spoil it for both of you, but it just really shocked me. In, in the second episode, the family liaison officer rings the Sheridan Smith character and says, oh, we've had to remove some of Anthony's body parts to do the toxicology reports. Would you like them kept with the body? Oh, and it, and it's said in such a blasé fashion. Again, whether it's there for dramatic effect, we don't know, but you would assume that they've done these extensive interviews with the families yeah. and this is something that, that happened. Hard, isn't it? These things yeah. happened. The person who I really want to shake, and I assume that he's going to be the linchpin to the whole case when he's he... the neighbour. Yeah, that is the neighbour. I just want to grab him by the collar and shake him and say, look, stop giving this guy the benefit of the doubt. I know that you feel quite protective of him because he's another single gay man and, you know, mm, and you know, you know there's something wrong with him because you sit Gabriel down and go, he's a bit dodgy. If anything strange happens, here's my phone number. Oh, my God. Well, well the problem we've got now is we've just recorded for 48 minutes. So <laughs> we will stop there. But that has been great fun. And that's the end of the podcast. That is realistic, though, because sometimes you want to look the other way. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to rock the boat. That is very realistic. You know, we would all like to think that if we were in that position, we would do something about it. But actually, you you wouldn't want to believe that someone that you associated with, you know, that close could be capable of that mm. and i think a lot of people are more inclined to just sort of do nothing about it than be that hero and go to the mm. police we live in an era of a ton of crime dramas we talk about this all the time but we live in an era of them where the crime is never seen and in this case i thought it made it even the more powerful Stephen merchant's performance particularly because you just think how is this person who is collecting dumper trucks who sits alone on his sofa, bidding on eBay, how has he even got the idea to do this and how is he physically capable of it? I know he's a tall guy and, a you know, could be strong, but you just, you can't connect the mm. person you see, although you, you feel, he makes you feel immediately uncomfortable and uneasy and you know there's something not quite right there. But you also think, how is he capable of taking these young lives and propping them up and what made him make the phone call because normally he just props them up and leaves them but obviously in in the first case he rings the police and that's the only way they get to know about him in the first place is because he made the call naively from his own mobile not even from a phone box if those existed in 2014 i don't even know but it's it's exactly the word exactly the word isn't it? it's naive there's something childlike about him Mm. yeah there's something twisted about him extremely evil as well So if you're keeping score already, that is two BBC dramas in a row that I have thoroughly enjoyed and Four Lives, it's up there with some of the best, I think. I just think it's fantastic and so well done. Not sensational and brilliant. And this is stripped across the week, isn't it? So the second one will be on tonight by the time you listen to this, if you listen to it. As we all think you do listen to this as straight as as you put it up. Immediately, when it comes out at midnight, people are staying up. It's event listening. It's it's certainly (laughs) listening. Um, So Four Lives, as Matt said, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on uh, the BBC. And there is a documentary, I believe, on um, Thursday night sort of after the news 
how they oh, they're doing a death. killer. But it's not prime time, so you've got to keep your eye out for it. It's after the news in like the BBC Three ten thirty five slot called "How They Caught the Grinder Killer," and it talks about the real story behind. It. They're doing something similar on ITV with Anne, which mm. Sarah, unfortunately, being I forced her to record today rather than tomorrow, hasn't seen. So while we're on a bit of a roll, let's do Anne, Matt. Which is very similar, actually, and it's it's, it's interesting. Similar. It's interesting that these two dramas are on stripped across the week. They're on the first week of the year, which is sort of the depressing grey outside. Yeah, the worst time of the year for. Let's put on two dramas about grief-stricken mothers who yeah. are fighting for justice and for the son that nobody cares about. Yeah, basically, and and you know this is um, about Anne Williams. Uh, whose son, Kevin, was one of the 94 people who was killed at the Hillsborough tragedy in 1989. You know, it's a story, again, that we, we feel like we know. Obviously, Jimmy McGovern did a drama about Hillsborough several years ago. But this is actually done from the perspective of Anne. So we see Kevin going off to the game with his friend. And then we see her, you know, going about her day. They have the game on the radio and then suddenly they hear about, you know, this commotion, all these people getting into the ground. They watch it on the TV and goes down to the local pub where her older son works. And it built, you know, obviously, again, we all know what's going to happen. We know that she's going to find out her son is dead. But the way that they sort of play it out, it makes you understand, again, like we said before, lives, the human side of it. You know, the 94 people who lost a family member and again their struggles to understand what has happened you know the 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 way that it's handled when they find out that kevin has died is that the police who haven't been able to identify the people who have died have got their polaroids on just a wall in a random building and it's, she just you says know, it's did, number 51. Which is yeah, just... can you identify Kevin? Is he on this? these photographs we've taken of all these dead people? Can you identify him? And, and Anne's desperate to turn away and say, no, he's not dead, he's not dead. But but the dad put, you know, identifies him. And, and it is, again, like Four Lives, how badly this was handled, you know, and, and, the, and the way the story... how insensitively it was handled, mm, yeah. How insensitively it's handled, how the stories kept changing for what the police were saying and how, like, you know, they go to Kevin's inquest and someone says, oh, actually, it didn't happen like you thought it happened. You know, there was this off-duty officer who tried to give him mouth-to-mouth and he was convulsing and there was this PCSO who thought they heard him say something which which Anne thinks is him saying mum and and it ends obviously the first episode this is four episodes with her going to this support group of family members who lost people at Hillsborough and as I understand it Anne is someone who's one of the key people behind the campaign to get justice for for those who died at, at Hillsborough um, and I don't think I mentioned at the top that it's the brilliant Maxine Peake who's who's playing Anne. Luke your thoughts? Maxine Flaming Peak. I mean, for God's sake, the woman. Calm I down, think, Luke. I know. I will. I'm trying to keep Not even flipping. I know. I'll put the E at the start of the podcast <laughs> for that. But um, God, I haven't seen her in anything for so long. She's going to be in a, a drama Matt will talk about next week on the pod as well. 
But, oh my goodness, she is just remarkable as this character. You empathise, you feel for her. I watch a lot of bleak dramas, a lot of bleak comedy. I seem to want to absorb it. And this just absolutely wound me down. The scene where they go into the centre to identify the body from the picture and there's everyone around them is in bits and desperate to find out where their families are. You can hear people crying and wailing and, and Anne says she doesn't want to go in there. I don't have this reaction very often, but it made me feel sick to my stomach. I actually was so invested and so involved and so in that room that my stomach flipped. I really did feel the, the enormous weight that they must have felt and the pressure and the grief. It was almost un unbearable, but it is such a brilliantly done script. Again, it does that thing where you get to spend five minutes with Kevin, which is all you need. It shows you his family dynamic. He sort of gets his sister involved in sort of convincing them, let him go to the game. They don't. He throws a fit and then they eventually relent and send him off to Hillsborough. It is enough time for you to know who this young man was and how he fitted in into their family dynamic. And it is just brutal and difficult to watch but just so important as well I think because you can often be sniffy when you watch stuff on the news I mean Hillsborough families were still going to court last year and you can kind of dismiss them and say you know it's now 2021 why are you still talking about this to a degree but when you watch this as Matt says the point of a drama like this and the point of television is to put a human face on the stories that you know and this does it just as well, if not better, than a lot of other real-life stories. I just thought that hour was remarkable. And it's a question now for you as a viewer, which one do you prioritise? That's all you've got to choose. You must watch both of these. Which one do you go for, Four Lives or Anne? And I, I, I think it's a tricky thing that they've put this over four nights. But I think it is event television, and I think Maxine Peake will win. A ton of awards for this, and so she should. Deck your home with blinds.com. DIY or let us install. Free design consultation. Plus free samples and free shipping. Ho, ho, ho! Blinds.com invented a better way to buy custom high-quality window treatments with no showroom mock-ups or waiting around for quotes from pushy salespeople, saving you time and money for the holidays with upfront pricing right on our website. Go right now to Blinds.com. Satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed. Shop Blinds.com's Green Monday sale. Get up to 45% off plus doorbuster deals. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay, then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today.
I can't praise it enough. I thought it was I, brilliant. For me, I think I preferred Fallout. I don't know if preferred is the right word, but I found this a it little bit tougher. It was relentless, yeah. wasn't it, this? Mm. I think what Four Lives benefited from was having... You had the grief of Sheridan Smith's character, yeah. but then you had the, the stuff with Gabriel. So you were introducing characters at the same yeah. time that characters yeah. were, and it possibly just moved a little bit more, you know, which is, it's it's fair enough. It's the structure of it. You want to spend time with the, the realisation of what's happened at Hillsborough. There's that brilliant scene where she's talking to the friend who went with yeah. him to Hillsborough who survived. I love that and scene. And he's... He's recounting exactly what happened, and it's different from the story that the police have been telling up to that point. That everyone arrived late, there was overcrowding, it wasn't our fault. And then, you know, the friends there saying, I can't stop thinking about it. We went over to the, the next pod because there was that atmosphere there, and then I could just, you know, he describes it in such visceral detail. The inquest is brutal as well, the way they're just talking. No, he wouldn't have said anything because his voice box would have been crushed and he, he wouldn't have, you know, he would have just yeah. asphyxiated. And I can see why you would choose Four Lives as slightly less hard-going because it's it's Four Lives versus 97 Lives. It's it's simple numbers, isn't it? But this really focused on the one life. This was the yeah, one. This is just about Anne and her experience. It, it, it's it's about a victim of Hillsborough, mm. but certainly the first episode is literally about a mother losing a son. It is about yeah. Yeah. Anne and Kevin, but, and but because we're we're empathetic humans, and because we're the age we are, and we can speak remember for yourself. actually happening. <laughs> well, some of us act like empathetic humans when we, when we remember. You can yeah. imagine the grief of that mother, though, and you can times yeah. by 97, and it's mm. it's just... I, I think with, with Hillsborough as well, it, you know, it's, it's something we know, it's more in the consciousness. If you say Hillsborough, mm. most people will know what exactly. you're talking about. And, yeah. and it's, you know, we sort of know what happened on that day, whereas the story of Stephen Port killing these young men, it's something we might have heard about on the news, but we haven't really seen dealt in detail in the way we have, as I say, with Hillsborough has been dramatised before... I'd like to sort of praise Stephen Walters as well as yeah, who was yeah. the dad, Steve. You know, he's done, I think he was in Little Boy Blue, wasn't he? He was. That's where I recognise yeah. him from. Everyone knows Maxine Peake's an excellent actress. I mean, there's scenes where she's just there smoking and you can see so much about what Anne's going through. But yeah. I thought he was good as this guy. You know, he was obviously trying to be the strong sort of shoulders to cry on. And, and you could see their frustration both with they're learning things about what's happened through the news rather than being told a, a year on him. a year on a year also, on you know. i really liked the guy from social services who turns mm. up as well because those characters are so often thinly drawn characters in these things and i thought he was a really nice jovial polite and he was fighting for the family, wasn't he, as yeah. well, by the time they got to the inquest. But I have to say, I'm not sure if I'm going to continue with this over the you know, the other dramas that we've talked about. It just, That's fair enough. I just did find it so tough. And I get it, you know, it's it's something that this woman and, and, and uh, you know, as you said, Sarah, all the families have gone through. But I, I don't know if there is enough there to hook me for three more episodes of a drama. I think that's a fair comment because I was concerned about it being four episodes and I I don't quite know how it's going to sustain the story. But as I just said, the Hillsborough families have been fighting for 
years and years up until very recently. So I think it's more about, I mean, this episode was obviously the Hillsborough episode, but it's more about that campaign and their fighting against the line that the police were towing and their, you know, their story that they were saying, like, again, like in Four Lives, you know, their constant thing was these deaths are not connected. They hammered that home until they couldn't, until there was evidence to prove otherwise. And that is very similar to what happened with Hillsborough in, in Anne. And, and I think yes, it was victim blaming on a massive scale by mm. the whole of the Red Top's right wing press. Mm. Famously, was it like the day after, two days after? It was the Sun, wasn't it, who said it was their fault. And actually, like the the press in this, there's two so scenes. There's a there. brilliant there's, scene in it with there's the, where the he scene, takes well, the there's, photograph. So there's the scene where before they actually know what's happened, you know, they're being taken to this place, and there's press already there. And then there's the scene, as, as Luke mentioned, where someone comes in with, you know, I'm delivering these flowers. And then it turns out to be a journalist waving a newspaper and trying to steal a, a, take, a, framed, fo- a framed, framed photo of Kevin. My God. There's just little touches in it where you think this is stranger than fiction. The fact that the place they go to to look at these photographs and identify their loved ones ends up being the exact same place where the inquest is held. And I just think, how awful is that, that you have to go back to the place mm. where you heard the most devastating news you're ever going to hear. I understand completely what you're saying, Matt, and it, di- it did drain me. I came on the call today just absolutely drained having done these two back-to-back, and I am perhaps more interested in um, Four Lives because I'm not as au fait with the story, and I think the performances there are wonderful. But Anne, I think, is an important piece of television drama, and Maxine Peake is incredible, as we all know. And I would urge everybody to to watch it as well. That is on all four nights this week, and then on it. No, it starts on Sunday, doesn't it? So on Sunday Thursday, to Wednesday this. Yes. Yeah. So on Thursday, if you still want more Anne in your life, they do what they did with the Dennis Nielsen thing, where they in they um do a documentary on the real life Anne as well. So basically, a whole week of this across ITV. Finally, then, who wants to tackle? Toast of Tinseltown, considering we can say very little about it. All we can really say is, you know, it's it's Stephen Toast of Toast of London, formerly on Channel 4, has now come to BBC with this new... It's essentially Toast of London Series yeah. 4, yeah. but it involves him being offered a job in America and... In the Star Wars. In the, well, we don't know what it is at first, oh. and he loses the job to Ray Purchase... His, his bit of rival is told by a lot of people that he has an anger issue, which you've seen in a sort of a scene where he's just banging his head against various things and eventually decides to go to this retreat run by, oh, what's the name of the character? Des, Des Wigwam. Des Wigwam, who's which played by... It gets amusingly incorrect for about yeah. six or seven times. Les TP and yeah. someone Scout Hut. Uh, played by uh, Kai Van Novak, who obviously stars with Matt Berry in What We Do in the Shadows. And then the episode basically ends in a fight between Toast and, and Ray Purchase, when Toast basically admits that he's been having an affair with Purchase's wife for the last 20 years, sometimes when he's been in the same bed. 
which leads to him getting this role that Purchase initially got and going to America and being told on the plane that uh, it's the new Star, Star Wars movie, as, as yeah. uh, Toaster would say. And, and then episode two sees him acclimatising to life in L.A., moving in with Fred Amerson's character, which I have written down. Um, Sarah will yeah, remind me what it is. Because the names are key. Uh, Someone... Russ Nightlife. Russ <laughs> Nightlife, yeah. Russ Nightlife, who is sort of OCD and, and will try and like reenact William Tell with people. The running thing in episode two is him being cast in a rom-com but the male star is very reclusive and wants to see his knees did you, did you write down the proper word for rom-com it's romley compton romley compton um <laughs> it's it's an odd one because as i said like toast of london was on channel four wasn't a greatly known show i would say you know it's very much sort of a cult comedy i i think anyway it's not the same as, say, like a Dairy Girls, which a lot more people, I think it's it's more promoted, even though it was on for a while. And, and I think now it's on the BBC. I, I mean, obviously, BBC, well, I don't know if people do know this, that all three series of Toast of London are on the iPlayer. That is the weirdest thing. That is a weird TV mm. an anomaly that's happened. Really there. is. I don't understand that. I, I mean, I would recommend watching that first, because I think some people will just come to this, oh, is this a new thing? And without... Knowing the the sort of the tropes of Toast of London, knowing the sort of the recurring gab with Clem Fandango as we've all referenced, knowing Matt Berry's odd pronunciation of words, you know, mispronunciation of words, his relationship with the Robert Bathurst character, his amazing sort of very old mobile phone. There's that scene there in episode two where he's entering the elaborate code for the apartment he's moved into, and he's just like. It's, it, it is very surreal to an extent. Mm. It's very silly, like as we say, like the character. Now I still remember Clancy Moped as <laughs> as one of the characters from from a past um, series. Sarah, you you know, discuss should we do the second episode because you said not much happens in the first I episode, but it just it all. just feels like an episode exactly. of Toast of London. It's a very aimless show. It's very yeah. loose, and I don't think it's ever been sort of high, a highly plotted piece you know it's it's Matt Barry and Arthur Matthews writing it again I went to the I think it was the third series I went yeah. to, to the screening right. for and You're actually welcome. Matt, Matt Barry yeah and I got a, a book and everything the yeah. Toast of London you autobiography you didn't tell me this you didn't tell uh, me that were you breathing the same air as Matthew Barry yeah and and I, what I was going to go on to say is he is I'm so different I'm having a hot just thinking about it yes please Ooh. <laughs> He is, he is so different post, from... He's absolutely gorgeous in from, everything that he does. He is complete. He's very laid back. You know, he's very different. You, you'd hope he wouldn't be like that. And he said, you know, whenever I meet people, they think I'm either going to punch them or, or try to have sex with them <laughs> because of these characters that he, I yeah, play. Yeah, he actually... I mean, um, he's but, yeah, and he actually seems, like, fairly shy and, and sort of hides behind these big characters. Yeah, I got that, yeah. The other, the writer, Arthur Matthews, who wrote Father Ted with Graham Linehan, he's very introverted as well. He comes across as as, as sort of very um, shy. I didn't see your discussion about should we watch episode two, and I enjoyed episode one for the most part. There were some bits I didn't like. The banging on the head sequences went on a bit too long. And oh, it can often... they love a long physical joke, oh, don't they? Luke, somewhat, Luke, you're going very slow. Am I going slow to you, Sarah? <laughs> you are now, but you weren't yeah. a minute ago. It might be it might be your internet connection, possibly, Matt. 
But yeah, I didn't like that. That um, that really niggled on me. It was a bit long. And did they make the right choice, Sarah? This was called Toast of Tinseltown, and it's been a long time since we've seen Toast in his world. Should they have started it with Toast in Tinseltown? That was my big giveaway. There are bits of the episode mm-hmm. I liked, and I'll watch the rest. But I really you, thought that episode one, feel like they should episode have just one was gone just straight set there. Well, there was nothing. There was nothing really to it. I mean, it's great to see Kai Van Novak always, but it didn't really feel like it was getting anywhere. The comedy had found a situation by episode two. Do you know what I mean? And there were much funnier moments. In the first episode, I found myself waiting for the funny and it never quite got there for me. No, I would agree. But in the second episode, there were funnier moments. But I would say that so far, it's not a patch on Toast of London. And I'm sorry. that's weird, isn't it? That's sorry weird, to have to break it? up with you like this. It's not me, it's you. But that's strange, isn't it? Because it's exactly the same creative team, exactly the same cast. It's, nothing's changed apart from a channel hop. It's got more time because Channel 4 has adverts. BBC mm-hmm. doesn't. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, so I, know, I believe it's a selling point. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they should stick with it, personally. But it's working well for them. I like Matt Berry's performance. I think... What we do in the shadows is him at his best. I think he's brilliant in that. When it goes high, overly silly, I I just lose interest Same. in it. Like yeah, the, yeah. Like the I fa- want I want like silliness, but I also want proper gags as well. And I felt mm. those were thin on the ground. And yeah, the it was whole, more the, retro the, than the, I remembered as well. Yeah, the is, punch is up that scene new as well because the interiors, no. credits, the style generally, the massive phones. That's all come from the original, all the phones and the, and the style it's, it's and the music. It's been a long time since I've watched Toast. I will yeah. have to rewatch it. Pa- perhaps she never liked it in the first place. Maybe this is a, this is a worry. This is a worry. But perhaps I never liked it in the first place. I think I did. I mean, it's no Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, but oh god, nothing do. is. Sarah and I, you'll hear it on the podcast, but we're not we're not sure what to make of it, and we don't know whether Toast should have just started in Tinseltown. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I just feel it's, it's another series of Toast of London. As you say, you know, if they are going to call it Toast of Tinseltown, maybe start it in Tinseltown. But I, I still found it very funny. I like Matt Berry. I like the style of the humour. So I, I think I'm going to continue with it purely because I'm a fan of the character and, and a fan of the world, really. Not a bad week this week, then, as it happens. Not a bad week at all. This is what 2022 is going to be like. I'm all for it. I'll, I'll put off the euthanasia another couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> Save up my money. Right. Just okay. in, just until there's sport on TV again, and then yeah. that's it. You're we, done. Got, we haven't got an Olympics this year. What? Yeah, we have, haven't we? We've got the Commonwealth Games. <sighs> You're not allowed okay. to say anything rude about that because uh, it's in Birmingham and it's going to be terrific as long uh, as. I'll like... cancel that. I was just going to say I'll cancel. Well, you've gone again. We'll never know. We'll never know what he's going to cancel. We'll just never know. And I should say at this point... I was point, going to say, I was going to cancel those plane tickets to Switzerland. Okay. <laughs> that, I thought that's where the Commonwealth Games were for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cancel them. Just defer them. <laughs> for another six weeks or so till I've finished the tourist and stuff. Thank you. All right, then. Next week on the pod, Sarah, we haven't said this yet, Sarah will hopefully be back because I can't be here, but Matt will talk to Sarah about that. I just thought if I have it, if I have it in recording, then it just makes Sarah look bad if he's not. Uh, it does, doesn't it? There. Thanks, thanks, guys. 
Yeah, you're yeah go on, why not? As long as we've got nice shows to watch, I'm in. This has been the first Custard TV podcast of the year. I've been Luke. You can find me at thecustardtv.com and at LukeCustardTV on Twitter. He's been Matt with a slightly dodgy internet connection. You can find him at Matt's TV Bites and on the site as well. And Sarah, you can find at, at Sarah Hamstera on Twitter and at her various writing posts, including this website, Dead Pixel TV. And is it why now or what now or hey now or who now? <laughs> it's deadpixeltest.tv, as you well know. Um, and it is whynow.co.uk, where shortly you will see seven shows that you should have been watching in December instead of just sitting around eating mince pies. You know what I like? Christmas chocolates, because I've been on a diet since June, but I have allowed myself some Christmas chocolates. And I don't feel any guilt eating celebrations. I don't feel any guilt eating celebrations because it takes me like half an hour to open a Milky Way. So I feel like I have... (laughs) You're (laughs) earning it. Every sweet that you eat, you're earning it. (laughs) I burned it off before I've even eaten it, which is quite a skill, I think. (laughs) Thank you so much. We'll be back next week, or rather Matt and Sarah will, to discuss more shows. This has been a brilliant edition of the Custard TV podcast that just went slightly over my allotted 48 minutes. Goodbye for now. Bye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realise that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Deck your home with Blinds.com DIY or let us install Free design consultation. Plus free samples and free shipping. Ho ho ho! Blinds.com invented a better way to buy custom high quality window treatments with no showroom mockups or waiting around for quotes from pushy salespeople, saving you time and money for the holidays with upfront pricing right on our website. Go right now to Blinds.com Satisfaction guaranteed Satisfaction guaranteed Shop Blinds.com's Green Monday sale Get up to 45% off Plus doorbuster deals Blinds.com Rules and restrictions may apply